Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to the Rit Race. It's the Ontario Campaign Daily Podcast. I'm Dave Trafford with John Wright. Last night was debate night here in Ontario. As we all get set to go to the polls June the 7th to choose the next government for this province. John and I are here to give you a little bit of a notion of what to expect, what you might expect, what you didn't expect as this campaign rolls on. And we'll sift through the tea leaves post-debate right here on episode 20 of the Rit Race on this Monday. May the 28th, 2018. Well, that grand gush of oxygen is uh, what's uh, either being injected into the campaign or sucking out of the campaign. Not quite sure if we're sucking or blowing after the debate now, John, but uh, here we are. And uh, as as it's such as it is, um, you know, I just before we get into the politics of it, I thought the format fought against the whole idea of allowing the candidates to present what they wanted to do. And I got the impression that they were trying to squeeze as much as possible into 90 minutes as opposed to squeezing as much as possible out of 90 minutes. So there's a big difference. And so I take issue with the broadcasters. I know the parties are involved, but the consortium has a lot of power in terms of how those things are set up. And I think it was a failure on their part. You know, what's so disappointing about all of this, uh, each one of these debates, is that it it actually could be a very informative session. Um, I know that it has a format where we hear oftentimes nothing but talking points. Uh, and this ridiculous, awful thing which goes by the word debate, which is actually just bickering across each other. Um, I do have to come back and say that the best one I've ever seen was in the last federal election by Rudyard Griffiths, who moderated... Uh, the three federal leaders, and it was done in such a way that you actually got an intelligent um, understanding of what they wanted to do. You had an intelligent debate without interruption, um, and and Richard really structured it in such a way that the audience shut up as well, and everybody was disciplined to it. A debate is not a yelling match. A debate is not, as you said, squeezing things into because just as they would start to get rolling, they would be cut off. Yeah. And 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 then you know you got, I mean you've got the journalists asking questions, and then there's the audience asking questions, which presented to me two different debates uh, for the candidates. They reacted very differently, and Doug Ford in particular. And you kind of, at the end of the day, think it's all about the networks looking for that gotcha moment. And I think a lot more, 
a lot of people out there just would rather have them talk about their campaigns a little bit more, have some structured debate. So I think we've seen three of them. The, the one in the North was okay, but the other two have just been just sad. I mean, well, I, I, I find it hard. I'm to believe I'm going to say this, but I think we could take a page out of the Americans' uh, view of how mm-hmm. to manage cam- uh, campaign uh, debates. And they have a separate organization that just deals yeah. with it. It has nothing to do with the networks, uh, and they organize them. And as crazy as 2016 was on the campaign trail, the debates, in fact, were far more informative. They were far more civil. They were, I don't know. They, I just got more out of them there. So I think we could probably take a page out of that book. Yeah, but you see, there's there's nothing to stop an independent organization from actually a rather large one uh, proposing a debate and to having the news media actually show up and be forced to cover it. Uh, in the United States, it you know it might be the women's debate or whatever, you know, but it doesn't focus on women's issues or issues of importance to women. There's nothing to stop an independent organization representing a whole group of different uh, interests to put it together and actually conduct some kind of debate that you're talking about. There's nothing that you and I could go out probably this next year would take a fair bit of work, but to find the right people in the right venue and give it the right name and go forward. And I I think that's what's kind of missing out of all of this. We always rely on the handful of people, although again, I come back to um, the handful of people in the media, but I come back to Rudyard Griffiths. He was able to do it. I mean, this is the guy who did the monk debates, uh, who's done so many different speaking engagement type things in Toronto. And he was able to go forward and say, no, we're going to, we're going to do it this way. And he got each one of the candidates together. And he was very, very firm. And in fact, there was a point leading up to the debate where we weren't sure that even uh, the prime minister was going to show, but they all did. And, and this is the thing. We can have a civil debate. And I'm just sorry that we've devolved to the stage where since 19, 19- 84 when Brian Mulroney you know turned to John Turner and said you had an option sir that that a lot of the news media think that the bickering back and forth actually is going to produce those kind of moments and carry a momentum beyond that room and that's why I think we, we don't see a winner come out of the debate per se for about 48 hours yeah exactly you know there's there's people like you and I who who watch it, um, I, I have to say compelled to, uh, because it's part of our professional job. I'm not sure I would have been spending that time given the choice between a nice night on the deck and watching something else and catching the highlights at 11. But I, I do think a lot of people don't watch it. And as a result, it really is the next 48 hours. And I think we're starting to see that right now. Yeah. And I, so I, again, I, it, it's taking up a lot of oxygen and the degree to which it's going to breathe any life into a campaign or not at this stage. I, I don't know. I thought it was interesting to see that uh, Harvath's first stop on the campaign today was in Etobicoke, right in Doug Ford's backyard. Yeah, and there's a, there's quite a bit of aggressiveness towards Doug Ford, even last night, and cutting him off all the time and bickering. And we've heard a lot of complaints about that. I certainly didn't appreciate it when I was watching it. But there is this, I've got a stick and I'm going to put it right into the heart of the beast. Um, I, I would say that if I had to rank these folks last night, Kathleen Wynne did what she had to do. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the ad that came out that's so you know on social media about sorry, not sorry. And I'm mm-hmm. not really a big fan of uh, the actual phrase itself, 
but I have to say that if you were a liberal watching last night and it was aimed primarily at the Toronto area, she did a good job. I mean, she probably gave them a reason to go out and vote as opposed to hanging their heads down and having to think of something else. She reminded them of all those things that she should have been talking about over the last 20 months. Yes. I mean, it's almost like that deathbed conversion where, oh my goodness, we did put a million people you know, to work. Dave, it, it reminds me of another another leader in this country who has for the last 20 months talked about indigenous issues, equality, equity, uh, you know, um, um, a fair wage for middle-class people, um, the environment, and hasn't talked about anything else. And who would that leader be? Yeah. Just happens to be the prime minister of this country who has the exact same campaign manager. Hello. So I, like I, I watched her last night and, and she took, uh, uh, you know, a page out of a book that said, listen, we've created a million jobs. We have a lot of challenges. We've had to invest in them, you know, healthcare and this and this and this. And she, she, she laid it out. So I think she, she won the hearts of liberals who wanted to watch that and see how she would perform. Doug Ford, I think, lost the first part of the debate. Clearly. I mean, he was during the headlights. There was a point there where they were debating over the uh, right of the government to order workers back to work to end a strike. And he stood there as if he was a thing at a fair. And he let the other two just drive that agenda. That should have been his issue. It, was, it, it, it astounded me. He, he just keeps seemed to have his feet locked. Yeah, and he was getting figures wrong and a bunch of other stuff. But you know what? I came away from there thinking that for all of his bluster and everything else, I think he's actually intimidated by that setup. Oh, there's no I, question. I, th I think you're right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's it's reporters who he's waged war on since Rob Ford, um, you know, Ginny Byrne and, and the rest over at the Tory camp don't have him doing a lot of media. They, they have him shut into the kind of Harper five questions a day thing. I think he got up there and it was kind of the elites versus Doug Ford and he and he shrunk from the whole thing and then in, in many ways stood back and let the two uh, other leaders bicker back and forth. But when they threw it to the audience, the man mm -hmm. came alive. And he it was played like, to the room. Well, right? I don't even think it was played. I think he I think he engages with people who are on the street. And if he treats it more or less if he's in Kingston and there were a crude crowd of 300 people in front of him and somebody stood up and asked him a question, he'd launch into talking to them directly. And that's what I thought I saw him do last night. So... I think he revved up his base. I think he got his talking points out. And then I, I think Ms. Horvath just didn't hit the nail. There were too much of an ex expectation on her. There was too much chatter back and forth. And she got battered from both sides. Um, and so she goes out of that room, you know, not winning a big amount. But I got to ask you the question. You've been a reporter and you've been watching this all these many, many years. Does any of that really matter? I mean, for people that I saw afterwards, they said, oh, this guy won and she didn't. And that's 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 the real debate. And I thought to myself, no, that's a bunch of talking points for, you know, for an hour and a half. And only a small portion of people are going to watch or listen to it. And then they just go away and we're back to the regular thing. I, I don't really think it has the same importance as it would have had in 1984 or 1988. 
because people just are disengaged from the bickering and all this stuff. I well, don't know, what's your what's your view on the debate? I, w- I would think that, that specifically it only reinforced their notion of what politics has been reduced to. Uh, it was a series of talk of cross talk. It was it was all about uh, sort of the the one liners. I mean, I you know, have you ever been to a daycare center? Uh, you know that that kind of stuff. And I get it. There's a moment for that, but the notion where somehow the Horvath team thought it was okay for her to insert little comments every time Doug Ford would say something actually amplified his point. I think. But, you know, but I have to say that remember it was injecting a couple of points during the city television debate that actually won her the talking point. And that was when the two of them were bickering, she said, look, you got the difference between bad and worse. Okay, so you and I know what debates are about. They're not really debates, they're performances. And so you get with your campaign people ahead of time and they say, you know, for a couple of days in advance and then intensively for a whole day, you know, when they leave this opening, you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that. Well, I think they came off of the city television debate and they had got a point in. It was an off comment, but it fit in. And I think, you know, they'll they'll then go back into the room and say, you know what, it worked last time. So why don't we try it this time? Instead of putting in a couple of here and there, why don't you put in five or six or 10 or whatever? And one of them will stick to the wall, except they forget that this is a performance. It's not just a soundbite moment that somebody's going to pick it up. You know, it was just really irritating. Well, so, it was a performance in as much as people were looking at the three of them saying, who presents as a premier? And, and well, that's, and that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, but even there, no, listen, I, I'm with you. There's different groupings of people who define a premier in different ways. Sure. So Doug Ford to some are going to be, he's going to be great premier, but honestly versus the other two and what they say. I, I think what, what they had going in there was an expectation, very, very low for a uh, premier win. And she actually stepped it up to exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. Who's the premier here? And it's true. She's got her fingers on the file. She knows all of that stuff. She's also spent a lot of time in Toronto over the last couple of weeks. And the, the, the phrase that's used today is she's just trying to save the furniture from the burning house. If you look at the polls that are out this afternoon, and there are two of them, Abacus and, um, and Ipsos, they're showing essentially the same thing. And then is that the liberals, in fact, are up uh, in the 416. Uh, They've come up about seven points over the NDP. So they're actually now leading by a couple of points in Toronto, but that's up a whole heck of a lot that it was a couple of weeks ago. If you take a look over in the 905, however, in uh, central Ontario, in northern Ontario, in eastern Ontario, the Tories are winning each one of those. Not by a lot in some, but the 905, they're winning by five points and the NDP has sagged. The only place where the NDP is leading today is in southwestern Ontario. And that's union country, as we know, with Hamilton and all the way down to Windsor. And they're leading by about four points. So we come back to what we talked about before, and that is it doesn't really matter whether these these groups are tied in the polls. This afternoon, we have the two polls showing the, t- the Tories at 37, which is up one, the NDP at 34, which are down three, and uh, the Liberals up to 22. It, the problem with anyone who says it's so close to call is they're not looking in the regions, because you can own parts of this province and be standing on a handful of seats, or you can be in certain parts of the province and have a whole household of them. Mm-hmm. And Doug Ford and the Tories are sitting on a lot of seats in the 905. They also have the most 
um, energized base. 89% of Tories say that they're going to go out and vote compared to 60 to 70% of the others. And that means that they've got older taxpayers, people outside of Toronto who don't know Doug Ford as well as Torontonians who are going to go and throw this government out and put him in. And it, the other thing that's happening here, of course, is that with, with uh, Premier Wynne coming up in the polls, it's sucking the air out of the NDP. Exactly. And it can't consolidate yep. the left, that they need all of that together to get him. And that's just starting to fade right now. So I think if I were doing polling, I'd be doing the next, tonight, I, I do Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. I do a sample of either 400 or 500 each night, so it kind of levels it out. And then I'd look at the numbers on Friday morning by about 11 o'clock. I'd produce the data tables, and I'd be out Friday at supper, dominate the news cycle until Saturday afternoon. And that would I might even make that my last poll before the campaign, but I think we we're probably going to see that before the end of the week where we get the aftermath of the campaign and probably some of the final polls. Yeah, it's worth noting that those two polls wrote today sort of uh, spanned the weekend, including the uh, debate. So the pre and, pre and post, I guess, right? Yeah, they, they did. Um, it, I've, I've heard in the last 24 hours that there may be a costed campaign coming, like a costed platform. From the I don't know whether that's true. Yeah. Um, oftentimes you would have a couple of things and leave it to the end. Maybe, maybe you do, but I think at this point, um, it's not going to hurt if they don't have it. There was an article, uh, late last night and today in the Toronto sun talking about how the Horvath team has, uh, buried a lot of her personal expenses in clothing that yeah, normally has that. been at, yeah, yeah Holt Renfrew, $43,000 over a span of a number of years. None of this helps any individual candidate, but at this moment in time, most of the people have made up their minds. I mean, you, you have 60% who make up their minds before the debate, about 30% after the debate, and about 10% the day of or in the booth. So most of that 30% that really needs to be on one side or the other is making their minds up as we sit here right now and probably did after last night. Well, and as I said, we started this by talking about the, the format of the debate. I don't think the format helped. I'm disappointed by that because I think that this was a great opportunity for that debate to allow people to make a, a complete consideration of all three of them. And then, you know, those 30% who were likely to vote and hadn't quite settled on things to be able to come up with some, okay, this is this is why I'm going to vote somewhere. I still get a sense that people are sort of feeling their way in the dark. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I think the next uh, set of polling will probably uh, clarify that somewhat, but I, I didn't get this rush this morning or I don't anticipate we're going to get it in the next 24 hours that all of a sudden, you know, the light is going to shine and people are going to say, okay, I know where I'm going. It, it won't be uh, won't be that definitive. But, you know, we'll watch. That's why they campaign, so. Okay, well, let's uh, see what uh, tonight and tomorrow bring. And... Um... We're down to the final week. We are. It, uh, it, it pretty much is. Uh, most of the campaigning will have been finished up. There'll be this last, last mad dash uh, a week from now, and then we will be kind of waiting for the results to roll in on the uh, election night. So, And then we'll exhale. <laughs> well, yes. And, and, and can I just say that? You know what's interesting about this campaign? Not a word about cannabis. No. Nope. Not a single word. 
I, I mean, you and I can inhale and exhale oxygen, but there's nobody going after this. And I mean, everybody was jumping on Ford for having a buck of beer and beer in the corner store. For God's sake, we're going to legalize weed across the province here where I can't imagine this. Can you can you think, Dave, in your lifetime that you would have been having a blunt sitting on the dashboard of your car, just sitting there without smoking it and having an open bottle of whiskey in the car and you'd get arrested for the whiskey and not for the blunt? Exactly. It's just, yeah. And they haven't even raised it as an issue. There and you go. Nobody's talking about how we're going to manage that. Anyway. All right. Thanks, John. Take care. All right. John Wright. I'm Dave Trafford. And this is The Rit Race. And just a reminder, this podcast is not intended to cure, treat, or prevent any known ailments. The Rit Race is produced by Eye Contact Productions. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.